and welcome back to Weird on the Rocks. This is a podcast that explores the weird, unusual, strange, and unexplained, all while getting our drink on. I'm your host, Katie. Today's episode is going to be one that I've wanted to do for a really long time now, and that is the story of Selena Quintanilla and her tragic murder. Although at the time of her death, Selena wasn't well known to everybody, um, by this point, you've most likely heard about her or about her death. Now, today's episode will include true crime, if that's mainly what you're here for, but I'm also going to discuss who Selena was and go into her personal life and musical career. She was only 23 when she died and was such a beautiful and positive and very talented woman. And sadly, like many other musicians who have died young, she kind of became a household name after her death. I first heard of Selena when I was eight years old and my cousin Brandy showed me the 1997 movie Selena starring Jennifer Lopez and I absolutely loved this movie and I became obsessed with it and showed it to all my friends and I actually remember playing it at my fourth grade sleepover party which um, it's kind of weird it's kind of a more like serious movie um, but that just tells you what kind of little girl I was. Um, I bought a bunch of Selena's CDs, even though I didn't understand the majority of what she was saying. I really became obsessed with her English speaking album that came out after her death. I actually had plans to sing her song Dreaming of You at my fifth grade talent show, but I chickened out before the auditions, which was probably a good thing. Um, I still listen to her music and I own the Selena movie. I just watched it. And, and I've always just felt a connection to her and her story. I think mainly because when she died, I was just a little girl. And I really looked up to her because she was just so beautiful and really talented. Before you listen to this episode, if you've never seen photos of Selena or you need a reminder of what she looked like, go on my Facebook or Instagram page or just Google her and look at some photos and especially some videos of her. She was absolutely stunning, and in all of the interviews and behind-the-scenes footage and stuff, she was just so down-to-earth and really loved to have fun and joke around and really just seemed like such a wonderful, cool, caring person. And the entire story about her death is just so tragic. Um, So in today's episode, I'm going to discuss Selena's early life, her musical career, her murder, and the aftermath of her death. If you would like to find my show, I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Weird on the Rocks Podcast, Twitter at Weird underscore Rocks, and the website weirdontherocks.weebly.com. Please subscribe wherever you're listening now and rate and review on iTunes. Before we get into the good stuff, I want to share this week's beverage of choice. Tonight, I am drinking a margarita. Um, I decided to go classic with it, and I'm using Don Julio 1942, which was actually, um, I believe, a wedding gift to my husband. So, um, sorry, honey. Uh, It's the only tequila we had in the house, so I hope you don't mind. I used it with just lime juice and simple syrup. I just did it the classic, simple way. I'm drinking it on the rocks, hence the name Weird on the Rocks, um, and with no salt. And like most of us, I love Margs. They're one of my favorite drinks and definitely a favorite in my husband's household. I swear probably 80% of our family gatherings (laughs) involve Margs. So definitely one of my favorite drinks. All right, well, cheers and let's get weird. 
Selena Quintanilla was born on April 16, 1971, in Lake Jackson, Texas. She was the youngest child born to Marcella and Abraham and had two older siblings, a brother named Abraham Isaac, who went by A.B., and a sister named Suzette. As a child, Selena was described as extremely fun, upbeat, and positive. She was very extroverted and loved being around people. Abraham was a Mexican-American musician who made his living playing in various bands, and he wanted his children to also be part of the Mexican-American music scene. Selena and both of her siblings loved playing instruments, and music was a huge part of the Quintanilla household. Selena enjoyed singing around the house and used household items as a pretend microphone. Around the age of six, Selena's parents noticed that she actually had a very refined and bold voice, and they encouraged her to pursue singing as more than a hobby. And when she was eight, she actually made her first album produced by her father. When asked about her natural talent, Abraham told People Magazine, quote, her timing, her pitch were perfect. I could see it from day one, end quote. Selena's brother, A.B., took up the bass and her sister, Suzette, began playing the drums. Abraham could see that his children were all musically gifted and pushed them to start a family band, which they called Selena y los Dinos. In a 2015 interview, Abraham said, quote, I always had the idea in the back of my mind of getting back into music, but I felt like I was getting too old already. So then I started working with my kids, trying to teach them. And to my surprise, they had that gift of learning music. They picked it up quickly. And what is so amazing that I can look back and see is that Selena had an incredible mind. By seven years old, she knew about 30 songs by memory, end quote. In 1981, when Selena was 10 years old, Abraham opened a Tex-Mex restaurant called Papagayos in Lake Jackson. Selena y Los Dinos began playing there on weekend nights, and the three Quintanilla siblings were soon spending all of their free time outside of school, either practicing or performing. Selena's sister, Suzette, said, quote, People came in there just to see her. She was known as the little girl who could sing, end quote. However, the restaurant was short-lived and had to close its doors just the following year due to a recession. This was extremely difficult for the family who had put their life savings into this business, and they they had to file for bankruptcy. They were evicted from their home and decided to move to Corpus Christi, Texas, where Abraham officially became the manager of Selena y Los Dinos, and Selena's mother, Marcella, began sewing their costumes. Once they were settled in their new home, Selena y Los Dinos began performing more and began booking fairs, weddings, and quinceañeras. Eventually, the band was making a decent living from their shows, and although things were tight, they were making enough to support the family. 11-year-old Selena took her singing career very seriously and felt the pressure of knowing that their band was what was putting food on the table for their family. In later interviews, she would admit that she often didn't feel like performing and just wanted to be a kid and do more kid things, but she knew that her family was depending on her. Abraham was very strict with his children and held them to incredibly high standards and made sure they followed a very rigorous practice schedule. In a later interview, Abraham said, quote, At the beginning when they were very young, I guess you could say that in a sense, yeah, I forced them, because kids at that age can't make up their mind on what they want, end quote. As the popularity of Selena y los Dinos grew, 
they expanded and added more members to the group. Selena's life was consumed with her music, and teachers at her middle school began noticing that she was missing a lot of school and appeared extremely tired in class. When Selena was in eighth grade, her father made the controversial decision to take her out of school so she could pursue her career full-time. Around this time, Abraham purchased a touring bus that they named Big Bertha, and Selena continued her education on the road, mostly being taught by her mother, and eventually received her high school diploma when she was 17 through a continuation school. Up to this point, Selena y Los Dinos were making Tejano music, which is in the Spanish language and is a mixture of country, jazz, and polka. The band was in the process of recording their first album, and while Abraham wanted to keep things traditional and in Spanish, Selena, who mostly spoke English with her friends and family, wanted to start singing in English and to incorporate more pop and top 40 sounds into their music. Abraham put his foot down, and their first album, titled Mis Primeras Grabaciones, or My First Recordings, was in the Tejano music style. During the recording of this album, many of the songs included Spanish language that Selena wasn't even familiar with, and Abraham had to teach her many of the words phonetically. In 1985, at the age of 14, Selena appeared on the Johnny Canales Show, a Spanish-language radio show, to promote their new album. This appearance caught the attention of Rick Trevino, the founder of the Tejano Music Awards. Selena was nominated for the Female Vocalist of the Year Award in 1987, which she won. This catapulted her career, and Selena's name was becoming recognized throughout the Spanish-American music industry, not just in Texas. But with support also came a lot of criticism. Selena y Los Dinos were often turned down for gigs simply because the band had a female lead singer. Many people who had been part of the Tejano music scene for a long time didn't think that a woman belonged and that she was taking attention away from some male performers. But instead of this intimidating Selena or making her question her career, it made her even more motivated and hell-bent on proving her critics wrong. She began to embrace her womanhood even more, wearing more and more revealing outfits on stage, often sporting high-waisted jeans and bedazzled bustiers, which coined her the term the Mexican Madonna. And Selena and the band kept cranking out music, releasing five LPs in just two years and selling out larger and larger venues. In 1989, Selena and her band performed at the Tejano Music Awards, catching the eye of some powerful men in the Tejano music industry. Soon, Selena had two competing record companies fighting for her and her band to sign with them. However, the decision came down to Abraham, who decided to sign with the freshly formed EMI Latin Records because they promised an English-language crossover in the future, and also because Selena would be the first band to sign onto the new label. Jose Bahar, founder of the company, told the media that he believed he was signing the next Gloria Estefan. Quickly after signing, Selena went straight to the studio to record several English crossover songs for the head executives of EMI's pop division. However, the crossover project was denied because they thought Selena didn't have a big enough fan base to have the crossover be successful. Instead, Selena recorded and released a Spanish-speaking album titled Selena, and her brother A.B. began working as her head songwriter and producer. The album peaked at number 7 on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart. Soon after, Coca-Cola signed Selena on to be one of their spokespeople in Texas scoring the band a huge profit. 
1990, Chris Perez joined the band as the new guitarist, and he and Selena quickly developed romantic feelings towards one another. However, Selena knew that her strict father would disapprove of her dating a band member, and Chris was afraid of Abraham kicking him out of the band. So the two decided to secretly date. That same year, Selena released her second studio album titled Ven Conmigo, which went platinum. Selena and the band continued to tour, selling out huge venues and traveling across the South. Later in 1990, a 30-year-old woman named Yolanda Saldivar, a registered nurse, attended a Selena concert. Like many, she was in awe of how beautiful and talented Selena was, and she became enamored with her instantly. Yolanda began attending as many Selena concerts as possible and put magazine and newspaper clippings of Selena up in her home. Eventually, Yolanda decided that she needed to meet Selena and be part of her life, and she contacted Abraham with the proposal of creating and managing a fan club for Selena. Abraham discussed this with Selena, who loved the idea. She enjoyed bringing fans backstage to sing with her and have big autograph signings and always was looking for ways to be closer to her fans and have a deeper relationship with them. And Abraham thought the fan club could bring her and the band more exposure. They agreed to allow Yolanda Saldivar to be the head of this fan club without ever actually meeting her. Within a few months of Yolanda running the club, her and Selena did meet. When asked about this meeting, Yolanda said, quote, I was meeting Whitney Houston, end quote. During this meeting, Selena praised Yolanda for starting the fan club, which already had a few thousand members. Throughout the rest of 1990 and into 1991, Selena and Chris Perez continued their secret relationship. One day, Selena's sister Suzette found them flirting on the tour bus and immediately informed Abraham, who kicked Chris off the bus and informed Selena that their relationship was over. However, like young kids in love, they didn't listen and continued their relationship. Despite Abraham's disapproval, Selena's mother Marcella actually liked the two as a couple and encouraged them them to continue dating behind her husband's back. In later interviews, Abraham expressed that he thought Chris was a chauvinist who would encourage Selena to leave her career behind to stay at home with a family. But before long, Selena, who was now 21 years old, and Chris were found together again. Abraham once again stopped the bus, kicked Chris Perez off, and told him he was a, quote, cancer in my family, end quote. Abraham fired Chris on the spot and said that if Selena followed him, he would end the band. On the morning of April 2, 1992, Selena went to Chris's home and suggested that they elope. She explained that her father couldn't disapprove any longer if they were married. The two of them went to the courthouse in Corpus Christi, Texas, and despite trying to keep the nuptials secret, the media quickly caught wind and reported it on the news before they were able to tell their families. Abraham went into a rage and alienated himself from the band and his family for a few days. However, he soon came to terms with the marriage and agreed to allow Chris back into the band and to accept him as his son-in-law because he trusted Selena and her judgment. In 1992, Selena was booked for a press tour in Mexico, which included a meet-and-greet style conference with the media. Selena and Abraham were concerned with how the Mexican public and media would view her and her novice-level Spanish speaking, so she relied heavily on her charismatic personality and big smile to get her through the interview. It worked because the media began referring to her as an artist of the people and said that she was a refreshing change from the fair-skinned, blonde-haired actresses from telenovelas, or 
Spanish soap operas. Around this time, Selena released her third studio album, which peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart for eight consecutive months and sold 600,000 copies. This album was considered to be her breakthrough album and produced the song Como La Flor, which many consider to be her most well-known song. The band toured for the album and in 1993 played their biggest show to date with an audience of 70,000. Within a year of her last album, Selena released yet another record, this one titled Live, which was recorded during a free concert. In 1994, the album was named Album of the Year by the Billboard Latin Music Awards and won Album of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards, as well as a Grammy for Best Mexican American Album. During this time, Yolanda Saldivar quit her nursing job to work full-time for Selena and became even closer with Selena and the Quintanilla family. While still running the fan club, she also started helping the family with financial matters and acted as Selena's personal assistant. The two of them became very close, and Selena trusted Yolanda both personally and professionally. When asked about Selena in a 1996 interview, Yolanda said, quote, She was like a cuddly teddy bear. I told her that I loved her like a daughter, and she said, You know, I give you that right. She called me mom on the phone, like, Hi mom, how you doing? End quote. In 1995, Selena began to expand beyond the world of music and wanted to explore some of her other interests. She starred alongside Chips actor Eric Estrada in a Mexican telenovela, as well as two episodes of another telenovela which earned the show their highest rankings ever. Selena also wanted to put more time and effort into her love of design and retail, and with the help of her business administration degree, opened two clothing boutiques, one in Corpus Christi and one in San Antonio. She named the company Selena Etc., and both boutiques included in-house salons where women could shop as well as receive beauty treatments and get their hair done. Impressed with how she was running the fan club, Selena also hired Yolanda Saldivar to manage both storefronts. The boutiques were very successful, earning Selena $5 million in 1994, and she was named one of the 20th wealthiest Hispanic musicians. In March of that year, Selena released her fourth studio album titled Amor Prohibito, or Forbidden Love, which again skyrocketed up the Latin and Mexican music charts. This album garnered her the title The Queen of Tejano Music by the Media, and has since been ranked number 19 on NPR's list of 150 greatest albums made by women. The album's success also made Charles Kopelman, chairman of the EMI record label, decide that Selena finally had the fan base massive enough to make an English crossover album a reality, and she began work on her English-speaking album. Couple men began marketing her as a solo pop star and wanted her career to be like that of Janet Jackson, Madonna, and Gloria Estefan. In November of 1994, both of Selena's boutiques began to see a huge decrease in business. Several boutique employees came to Selena with complaints about Yolanda, telling her that Yolanda would fire people for insignificant reasons or just if she didn't like them, and that she was incredibly hard to work with. However, Selena trusted Yolanda and didn't take these complaints too seriously and truly believed that Yolanda had her and her business's best interest in mind. After not being listened to, the boutique employees approached Abraham and told him of their concerns. 
Abraham took their observations very seriously and told Selena that she needed to be careful and that she was being too trusting with her business and too trusting of Yolanda. Again, Selena brushed off her father's opinion and told him that he doesn't trust anyone and that he was simply being paranoid. Over the next few months, family members, business colleagues, and clients also came to Selena with concerns regarding Yolanda and the way she was handling business. Many claimed that Yolanda had an unhealthy obsession with Selena and that she had ulterior motives. In January of 1995, Abraham began receiving dozens of phone calls from fan club members claiming to have never received their fan club merchandise after sending in their payments. Abraham began to secretly investigate these claims and found that Yolanda had embezzled close to $100,000 via forged checks from both the fan club and Selena's boutiques. On March 9th, Abraham held a meeting with Yolanda, Selena, and Selena's sister Suzette and confronted Yolanda with the evidence and said that if she couldn't provide evidence to prove otherwise, that he would contact the police. Yolanda said she could provide proof that she was not embezzling money, but needed time to gather her documents. Abraham forbid Yolanda from communicating with Selena any further, but Selena did not want to believe these claims against Yolanda and considered her an integral part in running her businesses. When pressed further by Abraham and Selena to provide the documents to prove she wasn't embezzling, Yolanda made the sudden claim that she had recently been sexually assaulted in Mexico. Selena accompanied Yolanda to a medical clinic in Corpus Christi on March 31st, where Yolanda was looked at by a doctor and nurse. However, this doctor told Yolanda that she needed to have a gynecological exam done in San Antonio at a hospital, but Yolanda never did this. Later that day, Selena went to the Days Inn in Corpus Christi where Yolanda was staying and told her that she couldn't delay this any longer and she needed to provide the financial records or they were going to contact the police. The conversation got heated and Yolanda pulled a gun from her purse and pointed it at Selena. As Selena turned to run, Yolanda shot her once in the right shoulder, severing a major artery. Bleeding profusely, Selena ran to the hotel lobby, leaving behind a 392-foot-long trail of blood. Yolanda chased after her, yelling, bitch, over and over. Selena collapsed on the lobby floor where she proceeded to tell the front desk employee that Yolanda Saldivar, her assistant, had shot her and provided the room number in which she was staying. While the front desk employee was calling emergency services, Yolanda ran out into the parking lot and locked herself in her pickup truck, where she was quickly surrounded by police. Selena was taken by ambulance to the Corpus Christi Hospital, where she was dead on arrival. However, the emergency room doctor attempted to revive her. Doctors were able to establish an erratic heartbeat, and she was rushed into surgery, where after 50 minutes, she was pronounced dead from blood loss and cardiac arrest. Selena Quintanilla was one month shy of her 24th birthday. During this time, Yolanda was in her pickup truck surrounded by police, where she remained for nine and a half hours in a police standoff. Police were eventually able to give Yolanda a phone, and FBI agents were able to speak with her and try to negotiate a plan. In this phone call, Yolanda is very distraught and is crying and whimpering and saying things such as, I'm going to kill myself, I don't want to get out of the truck, I want to kill myself but I don't have the nerve to pull the trigger, and I killed my best friend. Eventually, after nine and a half hours in the truck, Yolanda grew tired and surrendered to the police. 
On April 1, 1995, 3,000 fans attended a vigil in honor of Selena with plans for having a closed casket memorial service. However, rumors began to swirl that the casket was actually empty, so the Quintanilla family instead decided to hold a public open casket funeral. 40,000 fans came to Corpus Christi from all over the world to pay their respects to Selena. And two days later, on April 3rd, she was buried at Seaside Memorial Park in Corpus Christi. The news of Selena's death had a huge impact on the citizens of Texas and the Tejano music industry. Many compared her untimely death to other celebrities such as John Lennon and Elvis Presley, and all of the major news outlets broke their regular showings to broadcast the news of her death. Vigils for Selena were held across the country, and many radio stations played only her music for a few days straight. People magazine released a commemorative issue for Selena that sold one million copies. George W. Bush, who was governor of Texas at the time, declared Selena's birthday, April 16th, as Selena Day in the state of Texas and said Selena represented, quote, the essence of South Texas culture, end quote. On the same day as Selena's burial, Yolanda Saldivar pleaded not guilty to the first-degree murder of Selena Quintanilla. The jail in which she was being held was flooded with calls of death threats towards Yolanda, and there were rumors of local gangs raising money for her bond so that they could kill her when she was released. Saldivar's original defense attorney quit due to fear of retaliation from the community, and eventually attorney Douglas Tinker agreed to defend her, while Carlos Saldez was named the head prosecutor. The trial began on October 11, 1995 in Houston, Texas. The media referred to the trial as the most important trial in history for the Hispanic community. In his opening statement, Prosecutor Valdez said that Saldivar deliberately killed Selena and that it was a cowardly and senseless act because Selena had been shot in the back as she tried to flee. Defense attorney Douglas Tinker painted a different picture, one that relied heavily on Abraham Quintanilla. He stated that Abraham was controlling and dominating and only cared about power and money. He said that Selena wanted to be free from her father and that he drove Saldivar to, quote, near madness, end quote, because he was threatening to end Selena and Yolanda's friendship. Selena's husband, Chris Perez, was one of the first witnesses called by the prosecution, and he stated that Selena had been having doubts and concerns about Saldivar for a very long time, but just didn't want to believe it. The prosecution also called up employees from the store where Yolanda bought her gun. They said they sold her a gun and instructed her on how to properly use it. She then returned the gun two days later, saying that her father had given her a pistol, then returned 11 days later and repurchased the gun. Employees from the Days Inn testified that they saw Yolanda running after Selena while still pointing the gun at her and yelling bitch repeatedly. And the nurse who examined Yolanda after she claimed to have been sexually assaulted stated that there was no physical evidence of a sexual assault. During the second week of the trial, the recordings between Yolanda and the FBI crisis negotiators were played, and Agent Larry Young testified. He explained that Yolanda repeatedly said she wanted to kill herself and she wanted to die and couldn't live with the fact that she had killed her best friend. However, at one point during the negotiation, he was able to lure Yolanda out of the pickup truck where she was met by armed police. She immediately ran back into the truck yelling, they have guns, I don't want them to shoot me. 
A New York Times article discussing the trial pointed out the fact that Saldivar was simultaneously begging to die, yet didn't want to die, and that her remorse of the murder did not seem genuine. The recordings also revealed that Yolanda told FBI agents that the shooting was an accident and that she didn't mean for the gun to go off. She said that she brought the gun to the hotel to kill herself, but when Selena told her not to, the gun went off on its own. However, Dr. Lloyd White, the medical examiner who performed Selena's autopsy, stated that the wounds to her back indicated that she was shot while running away and that this was a deliberate homicide. A firearms expert was also called to testify and explained that with the gun used, the shooter would have to use an extreme amount of pressure to pull the trigger, and it could not have been accidental. On October 23rd, the defense made their closing statements, claiming that Corpus Christi detective Paul Rivera, who was leading the investigation, was, quote, not interested in pursuing justice and only wants to make a case. End quote. They stated that the death of Selena was a horrible accident and that Yolanda still referred to Selena as her dearest friend and that people who loved someone this much would not murder them. They pointed the finger at Abraham as being the real reason behind the murder and that he was an abusive and controlling man who ruined Selena's life and wanted to drive a wedge between Selena and Yolanda. They also stated that the prosecution played with the jury's emotions by showing photos of the crime scene and the autopsy, and that the jury should find Yolanda Saldivar innocent, and that they should not side with a, quote, rabid father, end quote. In the prosecution's closing statements, they claimed that Yolanda hated Abraham and wanted to seek revenge in the most extreme way possible by killing the person he loved most. They also pointed out the fact that if the shooting was accidental— why had Yolanda, who was an experienced nurse, not performed CPR or first aid on Selena to help save her life? And that if she really felt as remorseful as she claimed, she would have killed herself like she kept saying she wanted to do. They also claimed that Yolanda was obsessed with Selena and revolved her entire life around her. And when Selena had finally seen the truth and decided to leave the hotel room and Yolanda's life, that Yolanda couldn't handle Selena's rejection and she would rather have her dead than have Selena mad at her. While the jury deliberated, both the defense and prosecution, as well as Yolanda's family, signed autographs for people in the courtroom. Abraham and the Quintanilla family stayed seated. During an interview, Abraham expressed concern about the outcome of the trial. The O.J. Simpson trial had ended in acquittal just a week before Selena's trial, and he was scared that Yolanda might be found innocent despite the ample evidence against her. The jury only deliberated for two hours and came back with a guilty verdict and sentenced Yolanda Saldivar to life in prison with possibility for parole in 30 years. After the verdict was read, fans who had gathered outside the courthouse began cheering and playing Selena's music on boomboxes. Yolanda Saldivar is currently serving her sentence and will be eligible for parole in March of 2025. In a 1996 interview with 2020, Yolanda said, quote, They made me out to be a monster. I did not kill Selena. It was an accident, and my conscience is clear. End quote. When asked if Selena was firing her, Yolanda said, quote, She never ever told me that. I was telling her to leave. I said, It's over, Selena. I can't work with you no more. She went down, she grabbed my feet, and told me not to leave her. And I picked her up and told her, Just leave. And I grabbed the gun and put it to my head. I pulled the thing back and I told her, If you don't, I'm gonna do it. 
And she got up and said, Mom, we need to talk about this. And when she was walking to the door, she was going at an angle. And I said, don't close the door. And the gun went off, end quote. The interviewer asked, quote, then why didn't it hit you, end quote. And Yolanda says, quote, because it was pointing at the door and it just went, end quote, as she waves her arm up and down as if moving the gun. The interviewer asks if she knew she hit Selena, and Yolanda says, quote, no, I did not know, end quote. The interviewer brings up the fact that there was blood all along the door seal, and Yolanda says, quote, I didn't look at the door, end quote. The interviewer then asks, quote, many people have wondered if you were really trying to kill yourself, why didn't you commit suicide in all of those nine and a half hours, end quote. To which Yolanda replied, quote, there were many things going through my mind. I could hear her in my mind telling me, stay behind, stay behind. I hear her tell me, don't commit suicide because I'll never see you in heaven, end quote. The interviewer goes on to ask if she ever stole money from Selena's business, to which Yolanda says no. In this 2020 broadcast, they invited forensic psychologist Dr. Reed Malloy to review the interview with Saldivar, and he said that she displayed homicidal behavior. And the biggest indication of this was the fact that she brought a loaded gun to the meeting. When she was asked what she wishes would have happened that morning, Yolanda said, quote, I would want her to kill me, end quote. Dr. Malloy said that this indicates that Yolanda went to that meeting expecting one of them to die that day and that she fits the pattern of having an obsessive personality. He says, quote, instead of her saying, I wish we were both safe and nothing had happened, instead she has to direct the aggression toward herself rather than Selena. That's why these situations are extremely dangerous and unpredictable, because that homicidal impulse is shifting rapidly between the wish to kill themselves and the wish to kill the other, end quote. In the interview, Yolanda also claimed to share a deep-rooted secret with Selena that she couldn't divulge, but that it would someday come out. Regarding this secret, Dr. Malloy said, quote, I don't know if there's a secret, but I do know that by her saying she has a secret, she maintains a special exclusive relationship with Selena that nobody else has, end quote. March of this year will mark 25 years since the death of Selena, and in those years, as with many musicians who have died, her legacy lives on and seems to grow stronger as time passes. Four months after the murder, her English crossover album that she was working on at the time of her death, titled Dreaming of You, was released. It sold 175,000 copies on its first day, breaking the record for a female artist, and debuted at number one on the Billboard music charts, a first for a Hispanic artist. Many believe that her death sparked a countrywide interest in Latin music and paved the way for other Latino and Latina musicians such as Ricky Martin, Jennifer Lopez, and Shakira. In 1995, the Social Security Administration ranked Selena in the top 100 baby girl names, and pop star Selena Gomez was named after her. In late 1995, auditions began for a biopic about Selena, and 21,000 women auditioned for the role, making it the largest audition since the character of Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. Up-and-coming actress Jennifer Lopez secured the role of Selena after Selma Hayek dropped out, and it is considered to be Lopez's breakthrough role. 
In 2016, Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in Hollywood revealed their wax figure of Selena. In 2017, MAC Cosmetics released a limited edition Selena makeup line. And in 2018, Selena received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Currently, Netflix is creating a show called Selena, which will be released later this year. There is also a brand called Stripes that releases a different limited edition commemorative Selena Cup every year, and dedicated fans sign up months in advance to get theirs. In a 2018 interview with Chris Perez, he was asked, quote, Do you think her legacy and popularity will continue to grow from here? End quote. To which he replied, quote, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's a constant pleasant surprise every year especially around this time of year with her birthday and the anniversaries that come up around now. That's when I really notice it the most. When commercials come on or like the advertisements for the cups or whatever, they always seem to pop up out of the blue for me. And before, years back, it used to be a source of, you know, sadness and just the whole missing her kind of thing. But in the recent years that have passed, it's become more of a joyful thing and a proud moment because I'm reminded of the impact that she's had on so many people. End quote. All right, well, that's going to be it for today's episode. Um, I usually like to discuss the episode at the end here, but there really isn't much to discuss with this one. This is just one of those senseless and tragic stories that really um, nothing good comes from. By all accounts, Selena was an amazing person with so much life and future ahead of her, and her life was just cut short by someone with some obvious serious mental health problems. I definitely think that Yolanda Saldivar is where she should be, and I hope that she is denied parole in five years. Someone that is capable of stealing from someone that she supposedly loved and then murdering her um, is an absolute monster. She said that people were calling her a monster and she didn't like that, but in my opinion, that's what she is and she should absolutely be behind bars. This story is always so crazy to me because something like this really just couldn't happen today. The fact that Yolanda had so much exposure and contact with Selena straight off the bat without ever really even meeting her and was given this responsibility. It's just, it's just crazy. And it's a shame that nobody stepped in sooner and, you know, put an end to her erratic behavior. I think it definitely speaks to who Selena was as a person and the fact that she was really trusting and kind and obviously was maybe a little too trusting and she just wanted to believe Yolanda so badly. And you know, there's lots of criticism about Abraham Quintanilla and his parenting style and I agree. I do not think that Abraham was the perfect father. I definitely think that he was overbearing on Selena and her siblings and didn't let her live her life. But I don't think that it's fair that Yolanda and the defense um, claimed that he was really the person that ruined Selena's life. This falls on Yolanda Saldivar, and she is the true criminal and monster in this story. And I feel for Selena's family. I can't imagine how hard that must have been. And to still see her face everywhere and hear her songs, it just it has to be heartbreaking for them. But I want to know if you guys were familiar with this case before I covered it. Um, I told my husband that I was doing a Selena episode this week, and he said, oh yeah, she was murdered, right? 
but he didn't know the details about it. And I think that's kind of the extent that a lot of people know. They know that she was murdered, but they don't know the details behind it or that, you know, the head of her fan club and one of her best friends, her a personal assistant, that that's the person that killed her. Um, or were you like me and were you a little kid who became interested from watching the movie when you were younger or were you an adult and you remember this actually happening and it being on the news? Um, I would love to hear others' perspectives on this story and hear what you remember. It's always interesting with celebrity um, stories that are big in the news to hear, um, you know, people remember where they were when they heard the news or um, just the stories behind it. I would love to hear if you guys have any stories like that. As always, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, cheers and stay weird. That was a Titan Cast episode.